This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is sponsored by Tour Books and You Sexy Thing by Cat Rambo. Twice Far Station is at the edge of the known universe, and that's just how Nico Larson, former admiral in the Grand Military of the Hive Mind, likes it. Retired and finally free of the continual war for conquest, Nico and the remnants of her former unit are content to spend their days working at the restaurant they built together, The Last Chance. But some wars can't be escaped. Nico and her crew are forced onto a sentient ship and must survive the machinations of a pirate king if they hope to keep the dream of the last chance alive. So the publisher is building this as Farscape meets the Great British Bake Off in space opera, which is a whole lot of interesting things combined together. And this is the first book in a brand new series of epic space adventures. Uh, It's lighthearted, it's heartfelt, and all about family and finding a place to call your own. All of which are things I think a lot of us are very interested in. So again, that is You Sexy Thing by Cat Rambo, available now wherever books are sold. Welcome to SFFia, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 118, and we're recording on November 24th. I'm Jen Northington, I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we're coming to you from Book Riot, and today we are talking about go-to authors, which, Sharifa, I spent like a thousand hours thinking about what that actually meant after we decided to do it. I did too. I 100% did, and then I was automatically like... Well, or does this mean certain categories of authors mm-hmm. are out of the question? Like, do they have to be, for instance, living and still producing yes. books to be a good? So yes, it wasn't. It's yeah, never and- as easy as it seems like it's going to be when we set these tasks for ourselves. I know, I know. I feel like when we get creative like this, it actually ends up being like a bigger head scratcher than if we had just picked like a theme, like a regular pair of podcasting hosts. But I really enjoy the exercise also. (laughs) Me too. I didn't mind it one bit. And it made me think about all the great books I read. So yeah, it was really interesting to look at my bookshelves and look over the past, you know, books I've read and recommended on the show and think about like, who did I want to highlight? Because obviously, there's like a million of them that I couldn't talk about all in one show. (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, we can't say we can't just list all of our favorite authors. So no shade (laughs) to the other authors we don't mention on this episode. We love you all. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Well, before we talk about news and our picks, I'm going to tell you about our sponsor, which is Jade Legacy by Fonda Lee. Jade Legacy, as many of you probably know, is the stunning conclusion to the Greenbone saga by Fonda Lee. Battered by war and tragedy, the call siblings are plagued by resentments and old wounds as their adversaries are on the ascent and their country is riven by dangerous factions and foreign interference. 
The clan must discern allies from enemies, set aside bloody rivalries, and make terrible sacrifices. But even the unbreakable bonds of blood and loyalty may not be enough to ensure the survival of the Greenbone clans and the nation they're sworn to protect. So this is um, the final novel in the series. The first novel in the series, Jade City, won the World Fantasy Award and was named one of Time Magazine's uh, top 100 fantasy novels of all time, which is a pretty amazing achievement. And the Greenbone saga combines the best of Hong Kong action movies with huge scope and world building of the best epic fantasy. Lots of fans at Book Riot of this series. It's a great one. It's big. It's epic. It's wonderful. So check out Jade Legacy. Again, that's by Fonda Lee. All right, let's talk about some news before we get into Yes, let's do it. Well, this is one that's a little bit uh, from earlier in November that I keep meaning to get onto the agenda and then forgetting. So (laughs) let's just note for everyone, because I think there's a lot of fans out there, that Amazon's Good Omens has begun filming season two. Uh, This was reported on The AV Club by Gabriel Sanchez. And yeah, it's interesting because, you know, the book is one book. It's a standalone. And the original show was presented sort of as like a limited series, right? Like we didn't think it was necessarily going to have a follow-up. And so everybody was very surprised and excited when they announced that there's going to be a season two. And Neil Gaiman is still the showrunner and, you know, talking about how he and Pratchett always intended to give Aziraphale and Crowley more to do. I confess I still haven't seen the first season, but this is a good reminder to me to eventually get around to that because it is an amazing cast and it's I have read the book and it's a super fun story. Uh, Sharifa, did you watch Good Omens? I haven't yet. I keep wanting to and it just keeps slipping me because there's always something new coming out. I am curious Mm -hmm. about this because, you know, I did love the book. I did love Good Omens. um, And I... Am uncertain how I feel about oh, going interesting. beyond the original work. I mean, I do. I did read that part about how they had already, they had always intended for the story to continue. But it's just like, I don't know. Like I, I kind of like that it's a a one off yeah. story, and I kind of, you know, I already talked about how I love a limited series and for Mm. things not to just go on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And I could be proven completely wrong if I get around (laughs) to finally watching season one and then continue on to season two because I just can't help myself and I love the cast or whatnot. I might take my, um, I might strike my words, but (laughs) I'm still a little bit hesitant about the idea of extending beyond the original story because I just think it's so perfect. It's a perfect, tidy little package, and I love that about it. No, I absolutely agree with you in terms of how it is like sort of all wrapped up with a bow, but I also get 
uh, because that pair of, you know, an angel and a demon having like wacky adventures. Yeah. Is so fun. So I understand the urge and the desire for more. So I'm sort of in the middle, I guess. Like I'm not opposed, but I also still haven't seen season one. And who knows what season two will look like. So we'll uh, we'll continue to track that. Yeah. I, I can't judge right away, I guess I will say. <laughs> I mean, you can if you want. <laughs> That's true. I'm trying to be a better person, but maybe I'm just not there yet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, I'm going to continue the Pratchett news with this story from uh, the bookseller, and it's reported on by Sean Bailey. And this speaks to my heart because I read a lot of the Discworld books um, via audiobook. And mm. so Bookseller reported on Penguin Random House's decision to re-record all 40 audiobooks from the Discworld series. That's a lot of audiobooks. They like yes. list out how many hours it is. It's like 400, more than 400 hours of finished audio, basically. And uh, <laughs> 4 million words. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a, a star-studded re-recording. Uh, it includes the voice acting talent of people like Bill Nye, Andy Serkis, and Sean Clifford. Um, Sean Clifford, I have not watched Fleabag, so I did not realize or recognize the name, but Sean Clifford is from Fleabag. Um, Andy Serkis, you might remember from Lord of the Rings, and Bill Nye. Uh, from one of my favorite holly, uh, holiday hits, Love Actually. And it's kind of funny. I, I was looking around for other sources of this news story because the bookseller is sometimes paywalled. Uh, but Bill Nye is actually going to voice the footnotes, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But the footnotes play such a such a specific role in the Discworld books that it's kind of perfect. He's basically the voice of Terry Pratchett as the the voice of the footnotes. And so every single book in this series, all of your favorites, whether you've read some of the standalone titles like Pyramid, Small Gods, The Truth, or you love some of the series like um, the Tiffany Aching series or the City Watch series, you're going to be able to get them all. And I sort of got the books on audiobook. I think the ones I listened to were mostly narrated by Nigel Planer. Those were also great, but I'm really excited about this news. And it just makes me uh, feel like I should embark upon the quest of listening to more of these and this is also to mark by the way the 50th anniversary of the publication of terry pratchett's first book the carpet people i don't know if this news is uh striking to you jen <laughs> yeah i mean i have only just started reading the terry pratchett books in the last year or so basically because of you it's all your fault and uh, <laughs> i'll take that blame <laughs> yeah that's right i don't really do audiobooks i have a lot of trouble absorbing information that way 
Yeah. But I was excited to see that Indira Varma, who is an actress from Game of Thrones and mm. also um, Rome and a bunch of other things, is involved. She's going to be voicing some of the witches' books, which is super tempting to me, I will say, especially because those are the books I'm most interested in reading anyway. Same. I was also thinking about how Andy Serkis was recently announced to be re-recording all of the Lord of the Rings books. Like, oh, right. dude is having a busy voiceover year. Oh, <laughs> wow. just all over the place. Place. Break out those lozenges, for goodness sakes. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh, Andy Circus, take care of your voice, buddy. Um, I'm sure he's like a professional and knows what he's doing. So. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So let's see. Uh, I want to talk about, I'm going to take a, a brief detour from adaptation news. We have more. But before we get to that, uh, NPR has just released their Books We Love, which is has also been called the Book Concierge. It's this thing they do every year where they round up just a ton of books from all different kinds of genres, and they give us all kinds of different ways to navigate these. So you can filter by genre, you can filter by staff picks, you can filter by like thematic focus like uh, family or love stories or whatever. Uh, And they have a sci-fi fantasy section that's got 48 books in it. And it's super interesting. There's some stuff in here that we've talked about, uh, including like Jade Legacy by Fonda Lee, um, Ray Bear by Jordan F. Waco is on here, Some for the Wild Built by Becky Chambers. Like there's a bunch of stuff that I'm not surprised to see, but there's also a bunch of stuff that I just didn't have on my radar. So 48 books is a lot, and I definitely (laughs) will never probably catch up with all of them, but it is a good reminder to me to bump a few of these up on my reading stack as always and it was a real delight to see Swordstone Table which both Sharifa and I worked on so thank you to NPR for that shout out it means a lot but yeah such such good company like so many amazing books also there's a it looks like a graphic novel maybe in here called Garlic the Vampire that I 100% need to read immediately. Yes! Yes! I was just staring at a book cover like, what is this delightful thing? (laughs) It is like a garlic bulb head person holding a steak and a mallet. Like, what is happening? (laughs) I mean, I didn't know I needed a garlic-headed vampire slayer in my reading life, but apparently I do. But yeah, yeah, this is an excellent list. I loved seeing so many. It made me honestly feel less bad about my reading habits this year to see Mm. so many reminders of all of the great books we've read and talked about so yeah that was just uh that made me feel good about myself uh but other than that it was also (laughs) like it's it's a great way I think especially if you like to to sort of visually be inspired Mm -hmm. to read more and to consider some of the books you might want to catch up on. I think that this is a great way to do it. I just love the layout of this whole thing. Yeah, yeah. It's super nice to look at and to poke around in. Well, I am going to bring us right back into adaptation land with This news that is very exciting from Deadline reported by Nancy Tartaglione and 
we're getting an adaptation of Marie Lu's YA fantasy novel, Legend. So, yay! I know. This is a series adaptation, by the way. I always have to remind myself because I, I constantly get confused between whether things are a film adaptation or a series adaptation. <laughs> but I think series adaptation is great. This is um, the dystopian fantasy novel. It's a huge hit. It was really buzzy when it came out. Uh, they reported here that it sold over 3 million copies worldwide. That's a lot of copies. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's set in this futuristic world where the United States is con- tr- completely transformed into this new home called the Republic. And it's a place that is uh, unfortunately, unpredictably, I mean, predictably, perpetually at war with its neighbors. And it's about two characters, Day, who's a wanted criminal, and June, who's a prodigy being groomed by um, the Republic's military circles and how their paths crossed when uh, Day becomes the suspect in a high-profile murder case. So I just think I honestly have not read Legend yet, but I read uh, War Cross by Marie Lu, and I remember feeling like her writing was so cinematic and so perfectly fit for adaptation that it 100% does not surprise me that one of her books got picked up for adaptation. And I can't wait to read this book. I can't wait to see how it it's adapted. And I know that it's going to be a big, adventurous, wild ride. So I'm really happy for her and for all of her fans. Yeah, I also have not read this series by Lou, but I've read some of the others and totally agree on the cinematic nature of Lou's writing. And I'm very excited to to see what this looks like when it when it does eventually come out like 14 years from now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, it is probably going to be some time. But that's the nature of the business. And I feel like we're all so used to that by now that we're just going to have the happy reminder when it finally does come out, I guess. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. That reminds me, actually. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot here. So Cowboy Bebop, the live action just came out. Have you watched any of it yet? I haven't watched it yet. And I totally missed that it was already out. How did that happen? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Have you? Because time has no meaning. And Yeah. yeah, I had it all queued up to watch the first episode the other night and then like all of these things happen and my schedule changed and I didn't get to I still have feelings about John Cho's hair and the way that (laughs) designers chose to do it I'm not in love with it but I am super curious and I will be watching it so stay tuned for our uh eventual thoughts on that probably maybe (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know what I'm going to do over the holiday break now. So There you go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see. Let's do another sponsor and then get into our go-to authors. So our next sponsor is our new podcast, Adaptation Nation, where we read it, we watch it, and we talk about it. So we are taking on favorite literary adaptations, including new releases, old favorites, underrated gems, and interesting messes. Uh, We're going to look at how the books and adaptations themselves came to be, backstories, what ifs, casting thoughts, uh, how did they do, and then 
the ever-burning question, was the book actually better? And does that question even matter? We've currently got two episodes up. We have covered Dune. That was me and then Amanda from Get Booked and Jeff from Book Riot. And then Jeff and Vanessa, our managing editor, got into Casino Royale, the Bond movie, in a recent episode. So you have some you have some listening to do if you're interested. Mm-hmm. You can subscribe to Adaptation Nation on the podcatcher of your choice. And yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. And I hope y'all enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoy making it. <laughs> I'm so excited about when I finally get my chance to record Adaptation Nation because yes. it just sounds like such a good time. It's like a party in a podcast. <laughs> it is. It is. And we, of course, will continue to talk about adaptations over here from time to time. But if you just want to hear about adaptations, that's where you should go. Absolutely. Well, I am going to kick us off with one of my go-tos, and I'm just going to go ahead and get started with the person we have already been talking about at great length <laughs> during this episode. This is ab- absolutely an accident, uh, but there just happens to be a lot of Terry Pratchett news, and Terry Pratchett is one of my go-to authors. And I couldn't believe it. Like I was thinking really hard about who to choose, and... One of my struggles, I will say, on <laughs> making this decision was that I was like, well, whose who's books have I read a lot of? Because I am mm-hmm. legendarily terrible at reading, like sticking to a series, sticking to authors, and mm. reading entire catalogs. And it took mm-hmm. me so long to realize... <laughs> That I had read so much Terry Pratchett, so many of the Discworld books, and I don't know why that is, but I shouted in surprise when I I made the realization, and I immediately added him to the list. Um, <laughs> I'm basically like always and forever grateful grateful for the Discworld series, and even though I have read. A lot of the books, it feels like I've barely scratched the surface because as everybody does, I'm sure, when they initially approach the Discworld books, you know, you pick and choose your favorites. You find a character you like and then you follow that character around through books. But you don't always gravitate to other books because you're Mm. just not familiar with the characters and you don't know if you're going to like them. Uh, So that's my story. But... You know, as somebody who does struggle to commit to series, it is notable for me personally how many of the books I've read. And another thing, another conundrum I had was whether to include an author who will no longer be writing books. So it's not Mm. like I can, I'm waiting in anticipation for the next book by Terry Pratchett because that would be a huge surprise if one suddenly Mm. came out uh, (laughs) posthumously, but... Especially since I think he had, like, a steamroller go over his disk drive mm-hmm. or something after mm-hmm. he died. Yep, so, yep. So that happened. But I decided that I am fully allowed to include him because I will likely never get through all of the Discworld books. So it feels like I always have a new Terry Pratchett mm. to pick up if I wanted to. Um 
I just don't think I'm ever going to embark on that much as I would love to until I stop podcasting and stop working in books. I will just <laughs> not have the time uh, to do yeah. that. And I chose I chose him specifically for his writing because he really introduced me to the world of humorous fantasy. And when I picked up his books, it was uh, initially when I was a teenager and I'd mostly been reading high fantasy. And I thought really that that was all there was. Like fantasy was just Mm. high fantasy. They were one in the same. And there was nothing else. And so when I encountered his book after an initial like, I don't know what to make of this thing, uh, when I ended up picking it up later, I was completely hooked. And... You know, I think that the thing that draws me to the Discworld books is that they always include some philosophical queries, which is something Mm. I'm really drawn to in fantasy and science fiction. For some reason, they just hit right in that genre. And Mm -hmm. I also love the way he uses anachronisms. So there are things about the Discworld, the world of Discworld that feel very familiar and also very like from another time and I think that it's kind of amazing how he also definitely realizes this truly massive collection of characters on the page like I don't know Mm -hmm. how you do that I don't know how you keep track of them (laughs) all and all their personalities and like have stories that cross each other it's just like I, I just don't know how that works. And I'm always impressed when I pick up one of his stories. And this is another one where, you know, I think that I, I feel comfortable with this series because you can basically pick up any of the books without having had to read another one of them. So you mm-hmm. don't have to follow mm-hmm. any sort of order, even though I would probably very loudly and aggressively encourage people to read the (laughs) Tiffany Aching books in order. (laughs) Just because I feel like you grow up with her. And you can tell that I get like emotionally invested in the characters because they're just like that. They're very relatable. They speak to your soul. Um, Some of them, you pick and choose your favorites. And you just get to journey through these stories with some really kooky, quirky people like Susan Stohelet, who's one of my all-time favorites, and all of the Witches of Lanker and Tiffany Aching. Those are all my, probably my most favorite characters, um, at least out of like my top 10, maybe. Mm, and mm, mm-hmm. So yeah, I just I just love the Discworld books. I love everything that Terry Pratchett writes and this is me saying that if you haven't picked up a Discworld book, I really encourage you to at least give them a try. It might not be for you, but at least give it a try. So again, yeah, I've been talking about Terry Pratchett. I think that's a very legit pick for you for a hundred percent that's a that's a solid solid choice yeah yeah I gave myself all kinds of wacky rules for this exercise because (laughs) otherwise I I didn't know how to narrow it down like there's so many authors who 
I feel like I wait for their next book and I'm really excited about it. And then there's also so many authors who I read growing up in my formative years who are, you know, touch points for me, even though they're no longer publishing. So it, I, I just had to give myself some rules to narrow it down. So I did only choose currently living authors. And I also chose people who there are some authors like I think Sylvia Moreno Garcia is a good example where I love how much she genre hops, but I'm not necessarily going to read some of them because they venture into territory that's too far afield for me. But then I was thinking about like, well, are there authors who sort of no matter what they write, I'm at least going to give it a try. And it was an interesting thing to think about. I do want to give quick shout outs to Ursula Le Guin, who is one of my all time formative touchpoint authors um, for so many reasons. And but I I mean, y'all know who Ursula Le Guin is like, I don't need to sell you <laughs> Ursula Le Guin. Um, and then, ter- you know, Sharif is going to talk about N.K. Jemison later. Obviously, we've taught how for how much we talk about Jemison on the show. Y'all know that that's another one. So, yeah, anything yeah. that Jemison writes, I will eventually pick up. But aside from those two, uh, the first author I want to talk about is Charles Yu who hasn't published a ton of books and all of the books he has published are standalone. And it's interesting, you know, there's a, there is sort of a range to his work, like How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe, which was the book that introduced Ugh. me to him and is so good, right? So good. Yes, loved it. Is this very, like... You know, it's got time travel, it's got space, it's but it's also about like grammar and like family and complicated father son relationships and Star Wars and whatever. It's about a million billion things. Um, But it's got this sly humor to it at the same time that it is also deeply heartfelt. There's so many feelings in there. And then Sorry, Please, Thank You is a really interesting short story collection that plays with form. There's all kinds of different ways that you structures those stories. And, you know, some of them are about zombies and some of them are about, you know, I don't know, math. And like they're just they range all over the place. And then Interior Chinatown, which is his most recent book and is a prize winner, is this like kind of wacky set on a TV show look at what it means to be Asian American and and Hollywood and media portrayals and and I think the thing that I love about use writing in addition to it being always very uh, funny and very heartfelt, like I said before, is that he's really meta in a way that I think is hard to pull off, but he does. All of his work, when I think about what they have in common, it's very self-reflective. There's a lot of like winks and nudges to the reader and a lot of both internal and external references. And it sort of comments on itself as you're reading it, which is such an interesting feet. And I don't think that everybody necessarily loves that, even when it's well done. Like, I think some readers just that's not what they're interested in. But I am super interested in it. And I love seeing all of the different ways that you manifest that sensibility in his writing. And his characters are so good, which is increasingly important to me, I'm finding as I, you know, 
age and mm-hmm. um, revisit books and and look for new books. Character is just more and more important to me. And his characters, whether they're you know on a three page short story or the focus of a three hundred page novel, are always really interesting and uh, feel like real people in some way to me. So. Yeah. So I think like no matter what he publishes and, you know, he doesn't publish super often, like we get a book once every five or so years from him currently, uh, I'm always ready to pick it up. So again, I've been talking about Charles Yu. That's a great pick. And I love the way you talk about his stories. It's I think (laughs) it's truly on point. Thank Um, you. Thank you. Well, my next pick is a newer author, um, and it's Nevo. And I've talked about Vo's work a few times. This is an author whose catalog I haven't fully read, but I've read two books, The Empress of Salt and Fortune, as well as The Chosen and the Beautiful. And... I now just automatically look out for new works by Vo because I'm Mm. 99% sure I'll enjoy whatever comes out next. So Mm -hmm. I would say Vo is the kind of writer who can grab you from wherever you are, whether you're reading on the couch or a cafe or a, you know, cabin in the middle of nowhere the stories just plop you right into whatever world that's been created. And I don't always get that in books, especially these Mm. days. Like it's harder for me to, you know, leave my reality and just really get absorbed by a story. But Mm. Vo is just amazing at doing that. And her stories are so different. Each story is so different. Like you were just talking about Silvia Moreno-Garcia. While Vo doesn't like jump from genre to genre, like I never know what to expect from the next book in terms of setting and characters and storylines and... I think one of my favorite things about Vo's books is the prose. And I think Mm. that the prose is what really takes me away from my reality. It has that magical effect of making you see, smell, and hear the story. Like everything is described so perfectly And not in an excessive way. It's not like, you know, people talk a lot about purple prose. It's not that. It's Mm. just that everything, every word is so mindfully considered. At least that's the way it feels to me. That it makes me feel like I'm right there with the characters who are, by the way, always intriguing, always a little mysterious. (laughs) And especially regarding the protagonist, their characters, I would kind of want to know in real life. They're always fascinating Mm. in that way. And I always want to follow them around. And, you know, I love that Vo can take you to an empire inspired by imperial China as easily as she can take you to 1920s America. 
And I'm currently anticipating Vo's next book, which is, again, taking me to a completely new place. Although the time period is the 20s, which um, is the same sort of time period, about the same time period as The Chosen and the Beautiful. Um, But Siren Queen is going to be set in a fantastical pre-code Hollywood, and it's going to follow a queer Chinese-American actress and it was today that I learned that pre-code Hollywood was this era between the adoption of sound in pictures in 1929 and then the enforcement of the motion picture production code censorship guidelines that was around the mid-1930s. Um, and I had no idea about this time period, so I, I think that... Um, of all authors, Vo is I, I trust Vo to take me to that time period and help me learn by experiencing this story. And I'm just really confident that I'll also find more fully realized characters and really immersive storytelling and great queer rep in this upcoming release. I just love everything Vo does, and I cannot wait for the newest book. So again, I've been talking about Nevo. I will heartily co-sign that one. I considered whether or not to put Vo on my list, so I was so glad that they ended up on yours. Yeah. All right. My next pick is Karen Lord, who also does super interesting things with genre. And I do think she is an author who sort of no matter where she goes, I am very curious to see what she does with it. The first book of hers I ever read was Redemption in Indigo. It's this sort of folklore, oral storytelling inspired, fable kind of story with some magic and some gods and a lot of cooking. And then she went to like hard sci-fi with Galaxy Game and Best of All Possible Worlds. And then Unraveling, which is her most recent novel, is a murder mystery with speculative elements. And there are some, you know, gods and some sort of uh, not quite everyday things that happen but it's also very deeply concerned with, you know, the marginalized and with, uh, you know, sort of procedural, like procedural uh, thriller and crime books. And it's just such a fascinating blend. And that's what I think I love so much about what Karen Lord does in her books is that she is always taking a bunch of different elements and spinning them in ways that I haven't seen before. I think her, the way that she imagines these worlds is just so fascinating and so unexpected usually to me. I think she does things that I just don't see coming, which is always nice when you read as much of a genre as I do. (laughs) (laughs) And the fact that she continues to play with genre. And she does have great characters. But really, for me, when I think about what the standout thing 
for Karen Lord's books is, is that it's the world building. I love to see where she's going to take me next, kind of like Sharifa was saying with Nevo. Like, where are we going to go? What's it going to be like there? Who's going to be there with us? Like, these are all questions that I am always excited to answer when I pick up a Karen Lord book. And they're never quite what I'm expecting. So I always look forward to more from Karen Lord. And I love how adventurous uh, she is with the way that she writes and where she sets her stories. Uh, So again, I've been talking about Karen Lord. Well, before I talk about my final pick, who is a very established author, I wanted to (laughs) give a shout out to two new to me authors that are quickly becoming go-tos but don't have as much work out currently. And that's Nino Cipri, who's the author of Finna, that Ikea multi-dimensional breakup mm. adventure that I talked about mm-hmm. a while ago. I loved it so much. And it just like fit right into the spirit of humor and feelsy and adventurous SFF that I just more and more have grown to love. So I cannot wait to read more by Chipri. And then the other newer to me author is Zinni Rocklin, who's the author of Flowers for the Sea, which I just talked about like last episode. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted, I just read and loved both of their novellas. And I, I love to find new voices in the genre. And I always hope that they become prolific writers because I selfishly want more of their work. So I just wanted to give those two a shout out before I talk about the very well-known N.K. Jemisin. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, do I even have to explain why N.K. Jemisin is on my list? I don't know, but... Why um, not, though? Why not? (laughs) why not? There's always a chance that somebody just needs that extra push to go read a Jemisin book. And mm-hmm. the biggest thing for me is that she's just a master world builder. Like she just, she puts so much, you can tell she puts so much work into building these completely fantastical out there detailed worlds and you know of course she's an award-winning author she's busting up records and just writing excellent excellent work in the genre I think that she's come to be considered a big expert in SFF Mm -hmm. Um, she's written so many short stories and she was prolific before the Broken Earth trilogy, which won a bunch of awards, um, even hit the scene. So I will also say that, you know, with all of that prolific work, like between the Broken Earth trilogy, which is this far future apocalyptic story following these people who have power over the very earth and those who control them. And then the Dreamblood duology, which is this Mm. fantasy following harvesters of dreams and death dealers. And then the Inheritance trilogy, like (laughs) all of these books, short story collection, How Long Till Black Future Month. Um, They're just, it just feels to me 
like there is truly something for every SFF reader in Jemison's catalog. And I think that's really impressive and it makes her an author I would kind of heartily recommend to everybody just because it is very hard not to I a be impressed by the feats she accomplishes through her work and be not be completely immersed and mm. completely blown away by the characters she develops and yeah I just think of her as this sort of paragon and this trusted guide through Mm. speculative fiction and I think there's an effortlessness to her writing that I know is deceptive because putting these stories on paper is not easy (laughs) but there's this sense of effortlessness that comes from the confidence of a writer who knows what she's doing it's really meticulous storytelling and uh, not a lot of people are able to accomplish that. She is. Um, every time I hear her speak on whatever subject she's been plumbing to get story fodder, like it's just very obvious that she cares a lot about the stories she tells. She uh, tackles some really tough issues and some tough stories. And she just, I think, makes the world a better place with the stories she writes. So I always go to her when I want visionary storytelling that thoughtfully addresses societal and cultural issues and just delivers these really complex stories that will definitely stay with me. So that was N.K. Jemison. The heartiest and most enthusiastic of cosigns <laughs> to all of the above. It's just so, so good. So good. So correct. Yes. The, just amazing. Uh, yeah. So my last author is actually an author who I came to through reading his romance. It's Alexis Hall. And I found his romance like very enjoyable, very fun, well-written. And then I suddenly realized that he had written some romantic fantasy Mm. and uh, paranormal as well. And I was like, well, wait a minute, what's going on here? And so (laughs) the more of Alexis Hall's books I read, the more I was like, wow, this is really impressive, A, and also extremely great for me because (laughs) I have yet to plumb the full depths of his backlist and am super enjoying the process of seeing what, not only what he's already done, but what he's going to put out next. I know I've talked before on this show about The Affair of the Mysterious Letter, which is this very like Terry Pratchetty, but also Lovecrafty, but also super queer Sherlock Holmes retelling that has, wow. you know, eldritch gods and shark punching and, you know, could solve the case <laughs> and all kinds of amazing shenanigans. It is truly one of the most mashup-y books I think I've ever had the pleasure to read. It is a delight And also does some things that are just like chef kiss. So beautiful about (laughs) sort of reclaiming representation in those sort of fraught 
like Lovecraft, for example, or Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. Not traditionally super great on inclusivity, um, but Hall does take that the stuff that we love and then do it one better. And it's really satisfying. Um, And in the same way, his paranormal series, uh, the Kate Kane series, which starts with Iron and Velvet, takes urban fantasy and does things to it that I was just like, oh, this is this is what I have been looking for. This is what I've been wanting. Like, yes, give me, you know, gay vampires and scorned flower demons and all (laughs) kinds of battles in the middle of a city that, you know, also has werewolves running around in it. Like, yes, give me all of those things. Uh, He's got pirate romance magic books. Like, he's, there's, like, I just don't even know how your brain can put all of these things together. Like, how? How? How does it happen? I don't know. I don't understand it, but I'm super here for it. And so I think when I am thinking about who I want to give Alexis Hall to, it's like, do you... A, want to have a really good time? Like, do you just want to have a blast? And also, do you want to see someone spin elements that you love into something new that feels so welcoming and so so much like a party for the people who don't always get to see themselves on the page. Uh, and they're also very like steamy and feelingsy in all of the best ways. I mean, it just is it's a very particular flavor, I guess, that Alexis that is an Alexis Hall book, but each is also their own thing. Maybe it's like maybe the comparison I want to make is you know those jelly belly jelly bean sets where there's like a billion different flavors in there yeah. but they're all like sweet and delicious and you just want more of them that's what Alexis Hall's books are like for that me that is amazing that's, that's the comparison <laughs> I'm gonna go with <laughs> but more nutritious than they're not just empty sugar there's yes. like real depth in there so it's it's extremely fun and satisfying to explore Alexis Hall's uh, portfolio of writing which goes beyond speculative fiction but has some amazing speculative fiction stuff in it so yeah that's that's my shout out for Alexis Hall delightful that's just delightful <laughs> oh boy and that has been our go-to authors episode i hope you enjoyed this journey (laughs) along with us (laughs) what a journey we went on (laughs) what a journey in an epic quest Indeed, indeed. Uh, SFFia is sound edited by Natalie Baker, who makes sure we stay at least somewhat on track in our journeys. So many <laughs> thanks to her for making us sound great each and every episode. If you want more go-to authors of all kinds, you can get recommendations at bookriot.com. You can find our other podcasts, including Adaptation Nation, at bookriot.com slash listen. Uh, thank you all for listening, as always. If you want to reach out to us, please do so. We accept all pet pictures, all theme requests, all feedback about books and adaptations that you're loving at sffyeah at bookriot.com. And if you would be so kind as to review us on Apple Podcasts, we super appreciate that. It helps other book nerds to find the show. Sharifa, in between shows, where should people look for you? They could look for me on Instagram. I am at Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. 
And you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL. That's Jen with two N's, IRL. Or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next time.